stages. So. <laughs> Good morning, church. Is there any place else you'd rather be on a Sunday morning than right here? Me either. What a joy it is to be here. It's always a joy to be back in Mason. You know, this, over the last six years, we've made many a trip down here and enjoyed every one of them. And enjoy fellowshipping with everyone here. It's always a joy. My wife and mo- your wife probably also has ways of uh, uh, kind of correcting you, Eddie, we might say, or, or, or putting you back in your place, you know, kind of. Well, the story goes of a preacher after services one Sunday. He and his wife were driving home, and he was sitting there pondering about how great a job he did on his sermon that Sunday. And he was just kind of mulling it over in his mind, you know, how he hit every point and this and that and the other and how everything just went smoothly. And he looked over at his wife and he says, Honey, do you know how many great preachers there are in the world? And without blinking an eye, she said, There's one less than what you think. So, so there may be one less preacher here today, a great preacher here today than what you think, but I want to talk to you about coming out of the wilderness. Last Sunday, as we were here, was a glorious and a sad day at the same time. I know you're going to miss Ryan, as I am as well. But God sometimes, as John said in his prayer a while ago, sometimes God leads us into the wilderness to teach us something. And he leads us out of the wilderness at some point in time. I want you to think for a minute about a guy in the Old Testament by the name of Moses. Anybody remember Moses? Spent the first 40 years of his life, roughly, in the palace of the most powerful person in the world at that time. He was raised as Pharaoh's son, grandson, basically. He was a prince of Egypt for 40 years. He had everything. There was nothing that he lacked. He controlled pretty much all of Egypt and all of their holdings at that time. Yet that wasn't what God's plan was for him. So the next 40 years, where did he find himself? In the wilderness, tending them stinking old sheep. So 40 years he was a prince. The next 40 years he was a shepherd tending his father-in-law's sheep out in the back side of the wilderness, it says in Scripture. Still wasn't what God had in mind for him. And as Moses encountered that burning bush that we know the story so well, God finally reveals his plan to Moses after 80 years. Okay, Moses wasn't a spring chicken when he took on this task was 80 years old when God said, I want you to go back into Egypt where you are a wanted man and I want you to lead my people out of there into the promised land that was given to Abraham years before. So he was a a prince for 40 years. He was a shepherd for 40 years. Now he's going to become the leader of a, at that time, basically a no-name nation, if we can say it that way. A group of people who were to become God's chosen people. Even after he gets them out of Egypt and as they head toward the promised land, 
because of their grumblings, because of their disobedience, because of everything else, God allowed that whole nation of what we know as Israel now, or the Jews, to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Till all that first generation died off, basically, except for Caleb and Joshua, because of their disobedience. Moses got to see the promised land as he stood on the hilltop. He didn't get to set foot in it. But Caleb and Joshua did because they had been faithful. I'm not bringing up 40 years to, to make you think, that, well, it may take us 40 years to find another pastor. No, I hope not. <laughs> A lot of us won't be here 40 years from now. But God is teaching us something in the wilderness all the time. We never learn a heck of a lot when we're up on the mountaintop, right? It's down in the valleys of life where God can really work on us. I love that old song, John, God on the mountain. You know, but we learn more when we're down in the valley than we do when we're on the mountaintop. We're more teachable. We're more moldable at that point in time. And God wants to mature us, wants to grow us, wants to mold us to be like His Son, Jesus Christ. That process from the time that we believe till the time that He calls us home, that growth process, that maturing process, that molding process is called sanctification, one of them big fancy words. But what it means is to become more Christ-like on a daily basis. I want to applaud you for the leadership that you have in this church, knowing full well that the leadership in this church will take hold. Things will continue forward. And our prayer, my wife and I prayer, is that not only will you continue to move forward, but even gain more knowledge in the Lord. And if it be God's favor, to gain more members in this process. We have a church in our association who went a little over three years without a pastor. A little bitty rural church out in the middle of nowhere. And I was concerned when their pastor retired, thinking that, you know, they're probably going to drop half their members. Because of the leadership that they had and the preparation that they had, they grew in numbers. When they were running about 40, maybe 50 on a good Sunday, they're running close to 80 now, in the middle of nowhere, basically. So leaders, I want to speak to you first. You've got a, a job cut out for you, okay? You lay pastors, you deacons, Ryan has set the foundation over these last four and a half years, and you've got to build on that foundation, Okay? And it's not any different really today than it was in New Testament times. If you remember a guy by the name of Paul went around to and established several churches, did he not? And every time he established a church, he left a leadership, some leadership people in position there to continue that work. Some of them were successful, some of them weren't, to be honest. Leadership makes a church or it breaks a church. You've got the good leadership that you need. 
So you as congregants of this congregation, I ask that you continue to hold up your leaders, to follow them, to encourage them, to pray for them, because now they're faced with a mighty task. And whomever you choose today to be on the search committee, pray for them. That is a daunting task as well. I think I have been on three search committees at one point in time. While I was in church and then was on one when we were looking for an associational director of missions as well. So be encouraged. Do not be discouraged in this absence. So if you have your Bibles, and I'll, I'll get to preaching here in a minute, Eddie, okay? How long do I have, Eddie? Two hours? Okay. <laughs> if you have your Bibles, open them to the second chapter of Revelation. And you may think, well, that's kind of a strange place to go when we're talking about coming out of the wilderness. But I want to show you some things of churches who had been in the wilderness and what happened as they came out of the wilderness, the problems that they encountered, if we may say it that way, while they were in the wilderness, and the rewards that they received or were promised to receive as they came out of the wilderness. So there's seven churches that are mentioned in the book of Revelation. If you read your Bible, you're familiar with those seven churches. We want to look at each one of them this morning. We want to look at their faults or problems or their issues or whatever it was they had going on in the church. And then we want to see what Jesus says in the book of Revelation about if you overcome this and if you listen to what I have to say, here is your reward and I, there's a lot of Baptists out there, to be honest, and I are one, who do not believe that you will receive heavenly rewards. You need to read your Bible. That's all I can say about that. Because it's mentioned too many times. As an individual and as a church as well. But begin with me, if you would, in Revelation chapter 2. We have the church at Ephesus. Probably... The church at which Paul in his day spent more time than anywhere else from what we can tell from scripture. The church at which he left his young constituent Timothy to be in charge of that church. The church that Paul I would dare say loved more than the other churches because he spent more time. He either loved them more or they had more problems that he had to sit there a while and figure them out. And I think they had both probably. But as you read that letter, ask yourself this question. If Jesus were to write a letter to First Baptist Mason, what would it say about this church? Or what if we wrote one to you individually? What would your letter say from Jesus? Well done, thou good and faithful servant, or depart from me, for I never knew you. It's basically the two choices. But the church at Ephesus had a problem, didn't they? Somebody tell me what the problem was as you got your Bibles open. This, I'm a school teacher, okay? I ask questions. <laughs> it's part of my style, I guess. I ask questions. Ephesus had a problem. What was it? Look down in verse uh, 4. Chapter 2, verse 4. What was their problem? 
Oh, they had forsaken their first love. I don't think you're talking about their teenage sweetheart, do you? They had forgotten why the church existed. They had forgotten that the sole purpose of a church is to glorify Jesus Christ and win others to him. They had forgotten that. They had become, like so many churches across America, let's just be honest, of all denominations, complacent. They came to church on Sundays out of habit, okay? They came to church because of the pastor. They liked him or her in some denominations. I'm going to be up front and honest with you. If the only reason why you were in church at First Baptist Mason was because of the pastor that just left, you're here for the wrong reason. You're here to seek God and His will in your life, regardless of who the pastor is. And Ryan pretty much told you that last Sunday. That the work that you have seen going, going on in this church in the last four and a half years was not Ryan Buck. It was God using Ryan Buck to do what he wanted to do. So remember why you're here and why the church exists. I love what it says in Ephesians 4.10, 4.11, somewhere along in there. To some he called to be apostles and uh, teachers and all this stuff. But it goes on to say the preacher's job, if we can just put it in a little more term, the pastor's job is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Now, who are the saints? Every one of you in here. If you expect a pastor to do everything in a church, you're going to be disappointed. It's the members who are supposed to be the worker bees, if we may say it that way. I know churches who expect the pastor to change the light bulbs, to mow the yard, to take care of every little iota, and we wonder why pastors burn out. Only 10% of pastors across the nation that actually start in the ministry actually retire as a minister. 90% give up, give out, burn up, burn out. Because they haven't equipped the church, the saints, to do the work of the ministry, which Ryan has, and I applaud you all for that. He has equipped you to carry on in his absence. So we have to be very careful about that. So don't leave your first love, which is not Ryan Buck, it's Jesus Christ. But if you go on down to verse 7, chapter 2, verse 7, here's the other side of that. Here's the reward, we might say. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. To him that overcomes... I will give to eat of the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Tree of life. Hmm, that kind of sounds familiar. Seemed like way back there in Genesis, I remember reading something about the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. Anybody remember that? There were two trees in the Garden of Eden that were specifically mentioned. Remember that? The tree of life, and what was the other one? tree of knowledge of good and evil. When man chose the second tree, 
what got us in the mess that we're in, just to put it bluntly. This tree of life, we will be given the tree of life. In other words, we will be inheriting the kingdom of God. That's what we want, isn't it? Let's look at the second church for a minute. The church at Smyrna. Their big problem, and you can read it so for time's sake, their big problem was that they started out good, but then they allowed some false teachers and false doctrine to infiltrate the church. Turn your TV on just about any Sunday morning if you want to hear false doctrine and false teachings, okay? You can find it. They had allowed that to infiltrate the church. Down in verse uh, 9, it talks about, I know the blasphemy of them who say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. False teachings. Several times in Scripture, Jesus mentioned Beware of the false teachers, the false prophets, the false doctrines. Paul said, if any, any other, anybody else brings any other doctrine except what I have brought to you directly from Jesus Christ, you need to shun that. You have been taught proper doctrine in this church, without a shadow of a doubt. I heard a story this past week, and it was very strange to me. Uh, one of our small little country churches there was only three or four of them there prior to church service, you know, about 9.30. They started at 10 o'clock in the morning. They were there about 9.30 getting a few things done, et cetera, et cetera. And then walks this guy and his wife and a daughter about 10 years old. And the guy said, what do you teach here? What do you mean, what do we teach here? What do you teach here? We teach God's Word. What's What translation of the Bible do you use, the guy asked. So, well, everybody's got probably a different translation. He said, but I use the NIV. You're all going to hell. That's what he told them. If you're not preaching Gene James, you're going to hell. No, you ain't. <laughs> Every Bible that's ever been printed is a transliteration, okay? There's not the best one out there. I use a King James. Why? Because I know where everything is in it because it's marked, it's dog-eared, it's written up, it's everything, it's about to fall apart. Matter of fact, that reminds me of another old, good old gospel song. It talks about this beat-up Bible lying on a shelf. And when it goes on and talks, but it'll get you through hell, you know. Every word in it's true. And I forgot how the rest of it goes, but it's a very good song. You have been taught proper doctrine by your pastor. And because of that, look down in verse 11. He that hath here, let him hear what Spirit has to say unto the churches. If, I'm going to rephrase it. If you have overcome, you will not be hurt by what? Verse 11. By the second death. Oh, wait a minute. Time out. I'm going to die twice? In a way, yes. Where we can die spiritually and wind up in the other place where we don't want to go. It used to be right over here, wasn't it, for Heaven's Gate Hell's Flames. It was over here, wasn't it? <laughs> Had fire belching out of it, little minions running around. 
those of you who were here for that, will not taste the second death. The second death is not for believers, okay? The second death is for non-believers. I, I, I used to tell my church, I've always had it envisioned in my head, and you know how you can conjure up images, and it's not going to be like this in heaven, I'd nearly bet you a nickel, that there were two aisles coming down to the throne of God, as it were. Down one aisle is going to come believers, those who have accepted Jesus Christ. And God will say to them, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into your heavenly rest. To the others coming down the other aisle are the non-believers. As the Joker used to say on Batman, riddle me a riddle. What can you say if you're a non-believer when you approach the judgment throne of God? What can you say when you approach the judgment throne of God? Absolutely nothing. You see, you're not waiting for your for God to decide whether you're guilty or not. You're already guilty because you didn't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. All you're waiting on is your sentence. And you already know what that sentence is going to be. Depart from me for I never knew you. I'm going to cast you out there where there's Weeping and gnashing of the teeth where the worm never dies and the flames never go out. That's not my place I want to be, folks. Christians won't have to face that second death. Aren't you glad of that? Woody Allen, back in his day before he got in a lot of trouble, <laughs> said this one time. He said, I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. Well, we're going to be there when it happens. Okay, let's look at Pergamos real quick. I'm going to run out of time, Eddie. <laughs> the church at Pergamos, verse 14. I have this against you because you hold the doctrine of Balaam, which taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. Let's just put it in blunt terms. That church had started following the world, Okay. What did Jesus say about that? You've got to live in this world, but you don't have to be a part of it, right? They had become a secular, and it's kind of a strange term, maybe, a secular church. Their standards were based upon societal mores. Fifty years ago, folks, churches dictated the morals of the community, what society stood for. Somewhere in the last 50 plus years, society is now dictating to churches what to believe and what to accept. And it's time for Christians to stand up and say, that ain't right, okay? I've had more than one conversation in the not-too-distant future, uh, not-too-distant past, of people saying, well, you Baptists have started ordaining homosexual deacons and pastors. Heard that more than once. And I said, oh, hold on a minute. 
I said, we happen to be, along with Ryan Buck, we happen to be at the state convention about three years ago when they disassociated two churches from the Baptist General Convention of Texas because they had done just that. Here's my point. If God called it sin 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 5,000 years ago, it's still sin today, regardless of what society says, okay? It may not sit well with some of you, but tough. It's the way it is. There's a lot of others we could go into. But the world has crept into the church. That's what's happened to this church. The world had crept into them. The world was dictating to them. I used to tease my church back when I was pastoring, and, and, and that's when uh, uh, there was a lot of stuff going on similar to today. But uh, when they started coming up with some of the hate crime bills and, and laws that they had, and one of those was that you cannot preach against homosexuality. And I told my church, y'all better take up a love offering because one day they're going to throw me in jail. I know of a church that literally, their young pastor was told by one of the members who had a homosexual brother, do not ever preach on homosexuality at all or I will get you fired. He said, no, you won't, because I quit. That's what's infiltrating our churches, folks. That's what was happening to this church here. They had let the world dictate to them what they were to stand for. But if you go on down, here's their reward. If they straighten up and start flying right, if we may say that, in verse 17, I will give you to eat of the hidden manna, and we'll give him the white stone, a stone with a new name written, which no man knows, saying, that one that receives it, the manna, the bread of life, we may call it that. You remember when they were in the wilderness? Not long after they left Egypt, typical people, they started belly aching, right? We ain't got anything to eat out here. What are we going to eat? God rained down manna from heaven. Then they got tired of that pretty quick. They didn't want just bread and water. They wanted meat. They were from Texas, by the way. They wanted some meat. God allowed quail to come into the camps. The hidden manna, the word of God. We will inherit the word of God. We will get to eat of the word of God. You have been taught the word of God. You need to ingest the word of God. Hank Hanegraaff said it's not enough to get into God's word. We must get... It's not enough to get into God's Word. We must get God's Word into us. And I like that little phrase. It's not enough to get into God's Word. We need to get God's Word into us. This is what he's telling me. And you will have the bread of life, we might say. Moving on. I may get bogged down here in a minute. The church at uh, Thyatira. In verse 20 of chapter 2. Here's what Jesus said. Now, I got this against you, if we can just phrase it this way. You've allowed Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed to idols. Again, false teachings and false doctrines had entered that church as well. There was a big discussion in Paul's day, and you can read this in Romans and a couple of other places. Because, let me back up just a minute. The New Testament Christians, by and large, were primarily Jews, okay? 
they came out of the Jewish background. Discount the Gentiles for a moment, okay? They came out of the Jewish background, which had thousands and thousands and thousands of years of history and laws of what you could and could not do. Go back and read Deuteronomy. Go back and read Leviticus. You'll see all of that. Anybody in here eat catfish? You're not supposed to because it doesn't have scales. Just kidding. You're only supposed to eat scaled fish. One of the things that arose in Paul's day, is it all right if we eat meat that has been sacrificed to an idol? Because see, to the Jew, under their Jewish law, that was tainted, that was unclean meat. Paul said, look, it really doesn't matter. What goes in because it comes out. I won't say it any further than that. So this is what was going on. She had led them to get the law and grace all mixed up. Because of her teachings. But go down to verse 26. And look at the reward that Thyatira will get. I will give you power over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron in verse 27. We will rule with Christ over the nations. If we straighten up and fly right. Okay? Let's put it that way. Let's look at Sardis a minute. I don't know how much time i got left. I'll try to hurry. I'm an old school teacher. You've got to remember that. Chapter 3, verse 2. The church at Sardis was encouraged to strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. Some churches are dead, they just don't know it yet. Okay? Jude, over in his little book, says, Contend for the faith. Rekindle the fire. Repent and return and rekindle that fire. In a pastor's absence, I strongly encourage you to do that. Rekindle your passion for Christ. Rekindle your commitment to work in this church for God. And when you do, things will turn around. In verse 3, he says, Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard and hold fast and repent. Churches need a lot of repentance, a lot of forgiveness, and a lot of reconciliation today, folks. Here's your reward, he says, down in verse 5. If you straighten up and fly right, you'll be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot your name out of the book of life. Whew. will not blot your name out if you repent, if you rekindle, if you return to me. That was their reward. And then we come to a little place called Philadelphia. In chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. Mainly verse 8. 
I know your works. I've set before you an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and has kept your word, and has not denied my name. They were one of the ones that he didn't have that much against. He said, you've done well, my good and faithful servant. He said, you haven't stepped through the wrong door. You followed me. You've done what needed to be done. You've kept the faith. You fought the good fight, as Paul says. You've done well. And because of that, in verse 12, I will make you a pillar in the temple of God, and you can go in and out. Be a leader in the kingdom of God. You don't have to wait until you get to heaven to be a leader in the kingdom of God, okay? The kingdom of God is here if we allow it to be. And you can become that pillar in this church. In every church, I'd say across denominations even, in every church there is someone in that church, maybe an older person, it may not necessarily be an older person, who is the pillar of that church. Maybe even that community. He may not hold any official position, but he is a pillar because his faith has not ever wavered. And the young people are attracted to him because they know the wisdom that he possesses or she possesses. So they look to those people. They look to those who are the pillars of the church. People, as you all win more souls to the Lord, there's going to be people looking at you and they're going to be trying to figure out Who's the pillar in this church? Each one of you ought to be, okay? Each one of you should be a pillar in this church so that if a young Christian, not necessarily young in age, but a young Christian joins this church, they may not be fully aware of what everything it means first to be a Christian, secondly, what it means to be a Baptist, third, what it means to be a church member. Somebody has to disciple them about that. You need to be that pillar in this church. And Ryan has set you all up to do just that. So you need to carry that forthwith. And last one. The church at Laodicea. In verse 14, 15. I know your works. I'll rephrase it a little bit. I wish that you were either hot or cold. But since you're not hot or cold and you're just lukewarm, he says, King James Version says, I will spew you out of my mouth. The translation for that is I'm going to vomit you up. Not a very nice term, but a church that is not on fire, okay? They're not hot. But they're not completely cold. They ain't quite dead yet. But they're not on fire either. They're just kind of somewhere in the middle. They're just kind of existing. How many churches across America are just existing? Tom Rainer in his little book, Autopsy of a Deceased Church, says that 10% of churches across America, and he spent about 20 years doing this research, about 10% of churches across America are actually healthy, striving, and going well. 40% of them are showing symptoms of illness. 40%, another 40% of them are dying 
And 10% of them are dead but don't know it yet. That's this church. They were dead. They just didn't know it yet. I do a sermon called Go Ahead and Have the Funeral. Talking about a dead church. You might as well go ahead and have the funeral. Close the doors. This church was ready to close the doors, okay? They weren't hot. They weren't cold. They were just playing church, if we may put it that way. God said, if you were one way or the other, I could work with you. If you were on fire, I could spur you even more. If you were cold, I could light some coals under you. But you're just kind of in the middle there, and you're not fit for nothing. Hot water is good if you put a little tea in it or coffee in it. Cold water is good if you put a little tea or coffee in it. What good is lukewarm water? Might quench your thirst a little bit on a hot day out there bailing hay like you were doing the other day. (laughs) And hauling hay. But lukewarm water is not fit for much. A lukewarm church is not fit for much. But he does have some encouragement for them. When he says... I'll stand at the door and knock, down in verse 20. To him that overcomes, I will grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I have overcome and sat down with the Father. Now I want to close with these two thoughts, if I may. The first church that we talked about was Ephesus. The church who had left its first love, the way they're listed in order here. The last church we looked at was lukewarm. The extremes there, basically, we might say. We have one church that had forgotten why they existed. We got the other one that didn't even know why they existed. They were just kind of there. We have one who had forgotten the leader of the church, and that's Jesus Christ. And we have one who didn't know what they stood for. They were lukewarm. You're task now you're in the wilderness not a pleasant place to be sometime in the wilderness but take assurance that Jesus Christ said I will never leave you nor forsake you and that he has something in store for this church I don't know what he hadn't told me yet probably hadn't told you yet either this is not the end folks this is just a new beginning It's a new challenge for the church leaders, for the church members. Yes, definitely. So I want to encourage you to hold fast, to follow your leaders, to pray for one another, to pray for this community. God is not through working at First Baptist Church Mason. Four and a half, five years ago, Jed... Prior to y'all going into the intentional interim program, I preached one Sunday. I don't remember what the date was. I could go back and look. There were 38 people here. And I told Jay afterwards, Jed might have been standing there too because I never could separate those boys. They was always in trouble together. told Jay, I said, I have never had such a weird feeling walking into a church in my life. My wife and I talked about it on on the way home. There was no spirit in this church at that time. It was beginning to stink like a cadaver. 
okay? But look where you've come. In four and a half years, look how far you've come. What's God got in store for you the next four and a half years? Let's go to him in prayer. Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity, Father, to bring some words of encouragement to this church as they're wandering through the wilderness right now, Father, that they may feel somewhat lost, but we know this, that you're the good shepherd, that you lead the sheep where you want them to go, Father. And we know that you're not through leading this church. We don't know the direction that it's going to go next, but you've already got that plan laid out. You've already got someone in mind for this church down the road. You're already preparing that person's heart to come into this church and be the leader. We don't know who that is. You don't either. We don't even want to guess. We trust that you are in charge of all things, including our individual lives. And that without you, we can do absolutely nothing, but we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So if there's one here this morning who maybe does not know you personally as their Lord and Savior, maybe something that was said this morning has touched their hearts, maybe your Holy Spirit has drawn them to you, Maybe your Holy Spirit has been working to convict them this morning, Father. If that be so, then we ask that as they start singing in a moment that those people come forward. Maybe you're looking for a church home. I don't know of a better church home than this one right here, full of love, full of vitality, a lot of stuff going on constantly, growing members, winning new members. Man, who wouldn't want to be a part of that? Get plugged in. Work for the church. Maybe there's someone here who's looking for that church home. Who's never felt at home anywhere else. But they feel at home here. So if they would like to join this church, convict them to come forward this morning, Father. Maybe there's someone here who just needs prayers. I don't know. But if that be the case, just ask that you convict them as well, Father. And we'll be sure to give you the honor and the praise and the glory as we all stand and sing. How deep the Father's love for us How vast beyond all that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure how great the pain of saving loss the father turns his
Let's, let's pray as we, as, we, as we go. Father, we just uh, thank you for Keith's words and the challenge to us here. And Lord, may we uh, reignite that fire if we're, if, we, if we're cold. Lord, may those coals be lit again. And Lord, if we're on fire, may we continue to burn and, uh, and burn for those that are not here and who are lost. And Father, we just ask that your fire would spread like a revival here in, in, in Mason. And Lord, as we, as we go from this place, may your love go with us and your peace and your joy. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you're, uh, if you're staying for the business meeting, then are we going to stay in here, Eddie? We're gonna st- I, I said we're going to go in the fellowship hall, but let's, we're going to stay in here for the, for the uh, business meeting. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Keith. Thank you, Donna.